Uh, okay. Hi, my name is Michael Frank, and this is the Prefab Review Podcast, where we interview leading people and companies in the prefab housing industry to learn more about them and just make it easier to make the best decisions about your next prefab or modular project. Uh, today, we're interviewing one of the leading architects in all of prefab and modular construction, Toby Long. Toby's the owner and principal of Clever Homes and Toby Long Design, which um, I think has been in operation for around 15 or 20 years. And I'd also say that uh, just personally, um, I started learning about the prefab industry in the last year or so. And I've talked to Toby a few times about working together as a, a potential architect on my um, custom home. And he's always been extremely helpful, personable, and responsive. So anyway, welcome, Toby. Um, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to get started by asking you, how did you get into this business? Um, I just checked out your LinkedIn and it looks like you started out um, sort of back in your collegiate career at RISD. So sort of how do you get into this and how did your career develop? Yeah, thanks. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, truthfully, this kind of goes back to the days when public education was <laughs> was a good thing that we celebrated. I grew up in Pennsylvania amongst a family of physicians and social workers. And uh, given house, uh, given kind of my family situation, I, I wasn't interested in it. Um, I ended up taking a class. It was actually a required class in seventh grade, so beginning of junior high. All kids in the public school I went to had to take a mandatory class called construction. I mean, how amazing that in public school, we were forcing junior high kids to learn about trades. And so uh, I took this class in seventh grade called construction. It was sort of you know, the other semester opposite like home ec or art or something. And um, honestly, it stayed with me. Uh, we spent half the semester building a little model and doing like design work. And we spent the other half of the semester like working in teams to like build a scale model corner of a house with all the parts and pieces. And uh, it was profound. So I, I kind of grew into this precocious teenager. I picked up the phone book when I was 13 years old and I started calling architects because I thought I wanted to do this. And I found some uh, old guy who let me come in and erase Mylar. <laughs> that was my first job was like literally erasing Mylar so they could make revisions. And so um, I started out pretty early. I worked through my teenage years, all through high school and through college, um, basically working for architects and balancing that with summer months in the construction field, in the construction trades. Uh, I worked for a couple of contractors and got to see both sides of the fence. Left high school and went to the Rhode Island School of Design where I got my Bachelor of Arts in architecture, learned a lot about the creative process, matched up nicely with the upbringing that I had kind of formed for myself and uh, moved out to California shortly thereafter. Um, found myself working uh, with a buddy to build a bar in San Francisco. And next thing I know, in the late 90s, I had launched my practice. And so I uh, started working in a pretty conventional way uh, for a few years, never really found it inspiring, or at least as I had imagined, kind of launching out of a creative architectural program, uh, and fortuitously met some people around the year 2000, 2001, who wanted to build a business in the prefab space and wanted to try to uh, join up with a little bit of a kind of, I don't know, first, second, third renaissance, if you will, of prefab, which was taking shape around that time. Uh, Dwell Magazine had launched and there was some fervor around this notion that we could challenge the way that we were not only building homes, but maybe designing them as well. And so uh, that kind of put things in motion. 
We took a little bit of seed money that we had uh, gotten or had raised for uh, the start of, uh, of the company we were calling Clever Homes, and uh, we built a proof of concept project out in the parking lot of AT&T Park, <laughs> something that we called the Now House. And uh, it was a panelized prefab project that got a lot of attention, and it really launched the trajectory of my career. And so over the better part of the last two decades, uh, I've built my practice around a specialty in uh, prefabricated building technologies and methodologies. And so we've uh, sort of put together a, a process, a team, a, a kind of know-how, if you will, that really pivots on working with factory and factory-based construction systems to uh, build homes a little differently than they've been built in the past. Uh, I have to say that at this point in time, it's really great to see that there's uh, yet another, perhaps, uh, resurgence in the interest in prefabrication. Uh, and so it's been uh, it's been exciting and, and certainly keeping us busy. That's awesome. Um, so yes, I actually uh, I saw that when I was uh, doing a little bit of googling before our conversation. So the Now House, I didn't know very little about it, but I saw interviews about it from like 10 or 15 years ago. Um, it, was that like closer to kind of like a uh, sort of like more like kind of like standard, like blue home style home versus like a cust right? Like all the work you do now is custom, right? Um, how did that transition happen? And am I even characterizing that correctly? Yeah, I mean, I think I have a little bit of a distaste for this word custom that we seem to kind of throw around as though it gates a way that we think about designing construction, um, that things are either, you know, sort of custom or not. Um, I think the truth is that uh, here in, you know, 2019, we've got uh, a kind of aggregation of construction technologies and construction systems that are um, pretty prolific across most of the country and certainly here in California, where our building codes have driven down quite highly specific requirements for the materials that we use in building projects. Um, I kind of see custom more as a, a process of invention, which I actually don't engage much in the projects we work on. Um, we, we sort of recombine e existing technologies and, and materials <clears throat> in ways which I think are more, more personalized. So, uh, you know, this goes back, Michael, <coughs> pardon me, all the way to the origins of the Now House and, and the way that we were conceiving of our uh, a place in the prefab space, um, <clears throat> learning to be a professional architect here in the Bay Area and, and more specifically Northern California, it was you know very apparent to me from day one that there was no catalog that you know the prefab world really you know puts as kind of the the the, the main document for how to uh, understand prefabrication is kind of through this idea that architecture is you know is a static model that we can repeat over and over and I think for the majority of the United States and, and places where prefabrication has, um, you know, but probably the majority of construction in the Midwest and the South are uh, is are buildings that are constructed in factories. Right, um, you know, we've got flat lots. You've got you know little site conditions. You don't have the same uh, uh, urban context or suburban context that uh, we do here in the in the Bay Area. Uh, not the least of which, of course, is you know topography, <laughs> jurisdictional yeah. controls, uh, aesthetic values that come from requirements of uh, subdivisions or even just the culture of a community. And so, um, you know, it, it, it seemed to me that if prefabrication was really going to 
uh, become a mainstream methodology for building that we needed to move past this idea that we were selecting our homes from a book uh, and look more closely at the means in which we were combining existing systems and technologies in ways that could produce unique solutions that allowed for for context to be uh, a part of the architectural considerations for a project. Um, and so in my experience, you know, I've never worked with two clients or two sites or two budgets that were ever the same. The, the idea that there was going to be some uh, static model that we could apply to the Bay Area, uh, I found to be I'm kind of a fool's errand. And so rather than uh, work to sell people on existing designs, our approach was more about um, combining systems to allow for different shapes, sizes, and configurations for homes. And so the Now House was an attempt to work with a sort of Lego-like approach using structural insulated panels uh, or SIPs as the market uh, defines them um, in a way that, you know, could could allow for this building to have various permutations. Um, and that, that kind of, that culture sort of underlies the practice and, uh, and, and really drives a lot of our motivations today. Okay. So that makes total sense. So a lot of it's less, right, was less around static design than sort of process, as you said. So what are, so when you talk about like process and doing things a little differently, what are the sort of differentiating processes or at least like core um, things that are important and that you'll kind of see throughout clever homes designs, right? Like what, what do you think is distinctive about your guys' practice? Well, I think I've positioned myself um, in a, in a slightly distinct way from a number of different perspectives. Um, and so maybe, um, you know, as a first category, I, I think, you know, design probably being um, the most significant. Um, it, I celebrate architecture. I've been uh, a, a kind of architect since I was a kid. Uh, I, I trained at a uh, at an art school that taught me a lot about creativity and the importance of of design in our lives, and so um, I think first off, we you know design is is at the front of the work that I do, and and that's in uh, something which I think shows through the work. Um, there is a, a common thread, but there's also some autonomy and uniqueness amongst the buildings that we've made with our clients, um, and, and this is in response to you know the people that I work with. Uh, I've worked with families, I've worked with uh, young couples, I've worked with. Uh, retirees and and I think the where people are in life drives a program and and that has to match up with uh, with site conditions uh, whether or not that's a a steep hill you know nothing in the Bay Area that's uh, buildable is is flat anymore <laughs> all those properties have been uh, developed and historically uh, or whether or not it's uh, contextual in terms of uh, a community or an aesthetic or a, a design review process uh, we we embrace that and and, and, and apply a design process using a repeatable methodology that allows for us to, you know, to design buildings that, that fit where they go and, and who's doing them. Um, I have to say budget. I, I think that with a static model comes a static financial condition. And, and I think that that's, um, uh, that's a filter that we don't need to put on to this process of building in factories. Um, I think that uh, budgets are, of course, driven by the financial capacities of, 
the clients and, and patrons that we work with. Uh, they're also driven by the market. Um, we have to work with banks. We have to uh, position buildings economically so that they are uh, in a given community's uh, strata or, or, or financial or economic uh, condition. And so, you know, in my experience, all of these uh, influences on projects drive towards unique solutions. So I think, you know, first off, my uh, maybe main differentiator is that I, I really celebrate architecture, uh, where I am critical of the prefab industry, and in that uh, I think that that's uh, often just put in a can and uh, hope that the right buyer comes along for the right house. Um, you know, the second way I think that uh, I've really worked to differentiate myself is that I believe firmly in trying to help our clients understand the market at large. Uh, a lot of the prefab world asks people to kind of sign up on day one. And, and that's a long journey. We don't build houses on day one. We, we build houses on, you know, day 100 <laughs> or 200 or whatever. And, and that's a long road uh, to walk with people who you've sort of just met. Um, so I've really taken... Uh, seriously, the need for my clients to truly understand what the market looks like. Uh, historically, construction has been bought and sold through a competitive process. Um, and I think to dismiss that uh, as, a, as a function of business um, challenges people on, on a number of levels, not the least of which is the fact that this is a relationship-based business. We, we have to know and like the people that we work with. And, and so uh, part of the differentiator for my practice is I work with the industry at large. Uh, I, I don't own a factory. I'm not a contractor and never endeavored to be either. Uh, a, a good project is, is developed by a, a solid team of people who bring unique skill sets and unique trades to projects. And as we aggregate expertise, we get wonderful results with a very diverse and um, capable group. Uh, and so part of my uh, work with clients is to help these folks we're working with understand who, who are the factories, who are the fabricators that are out there, uh, some of whom do a nice job presenting themselves, as uh, as you know. Others sort of hide in the shadows a little bit because they don't need to market. There's plenty of work to do, and, and we kind of feed into that business as a way of uh, helping our clients do a little bit of competitive engagement at an early stage so that uh, not just factories, but the local site contractors, who I think are critically also a little underappreciated in the prefab world, <laughs> all become folks that come to this process through a bit of a selection, which is a combination of personality, availability, and costs. And, and by helping people understand that market, I think the relationships that we build around projects are uh, inherently more solid as we get to that moment of building. Um, so I think that, you know, for me, those are the two sort of prime differentiators in terms of how I help clients try to navigate this experience without feeling as though they've been, you know, put into a box and, and shoved into a blind alley. <laughs> I think it's yeah. uh, great, great to understand your options. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so we'll, we'll get back to a couple of those questions around local contractors, around factories, and sort of a fire around in a bit. But one of the things I want to get through right now, because at our site, we get a ton of questions about this are just like sort of the specifics on sort of about your practice. So I'll just run through a couple questions and, you know, some might be one word answers. Some might be a few more. 
Um, basically, like how many homes have you, you guys designed and built in the history of the practice? And how many do you uh, design on kind of like a typical year? Those are good questions. I maybe I'm embarrassed to say, I actually don't know. Um, I think at this point we've built several hundred homes. Um, I think in a given year, uh, we're probably engaged in a construction of anywhere from a dozen to two dozen houses. Um, uh, projects unfold over fairly long periods of time. So we've got projects that are at various stages of development from uh, concept to closeout, um, but uh, somewhere somewhere in there. And are you designing them all or do you have a staff of architects that uh, works on them? So my practice has a fairly long anthology that maybe isn't for today, but um, we did a big pivot around the end of the recession uh, for a number of different reasons. And one of the big pivots for me was uh, decentralizing my practice. Uh, We work with all of the fantastic digital tools at our disposal and employ a team of designers and architects that are uh, essentially spread out across the globe. (laughs) Most most everybody's here on the West Coast, but uh, I have team members in the East Coast and the Midwest and and a lot of folks out here as well, some international team members as well. Um, So we have a supportive group uh, of about uh, eight architects and some uh, other supportive people that do rendering work for us, of course, accounting and and that type of thing. Uh, And then a number of consultants who work with us across the myriad of uh, specific trades uh, generally related to more of the engineering of the building. Makes sense. Um, and then what's the, I, we don't have to have a specific price. Um, and I sort of know this answer because we've talked about this before, but what's kind of the like normal price range um, of your buildings and feel free to give like a, a Bay. I, I don't know. I know most, a lot of the work you do is in the Bay area, but I imagine it, you know, it might vary a little bit by area as well. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, my <laughs> maybe cynical, kind of response to these questions of economics usually kind of wraps around a a kind of central theme, which is that, uh, you know, you don't know how much your vacation costs until you get home. Right. (laughs) Right. So, so here we are at a construction project trying to anticipate the future and, 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 and essentially prioritizing and investing into the constituent parts of a building project, some of which are prefabricated, many of which are not uh, and have nothing to do with prefabrication, but all of which constitute the, the parts for a completed home project. And so my experience is that prioritization is differing, it differs from client to client. Everybody is a is an expert in homes. Uh, and so everyone has a slightly different way of prioritizing their investments. Now, that said, the work I do, I mean, I'm in the prefab space. So the work I do is, is very repeatable. And so with the repeatability comes a lot of repeatable economics, at least at the, you know, kind of early stages of conversation in terms of where we aim our expectations. And and what I usually tell clients that are kind of coming in and and asking these very appropriate questions is that um, to plan for the entire investment into a building project, at least here in the Bay Area, and I would say probably this is true for the majority of the urban centers across the West Coast, that um, the order of magnitude of those total investments looks something like this, which is that if we add up all of the square footage of a building project, which I would con- include conditioned and unconditioned spaces like garages, uh, and if you add up all that square footage and you were 
aiming your expectations somewhere in a 400 to 450 dollar per square foot level of investment that that multiplier uh, against all of the square footage of a proposed building project should create the order of magnitude of the total investment into a completed project, right? So 400, 450 multiplied by all your square footage, that's going to get you pretty close to all of the investments going in, probably with the small caveat that I think most of us are guilty about, uh, which is that landscaping is generally underestimated <laughs> in terms yeah. of how much, how much we should really be allocating towards, you know, the exterior and, and yard and, and property landscape kind of elements. So uh, that's about the order of magnitude. Now, the known quantity kind of the airfare, if you will, that we can really throw darts towards pretty accurately are the prefab components. I, I do argue that you know, prefab is a great way to build. It's also a great way to plan because we know a lot about the house at this early stage and therefore can focus a lot of our attention on the you know non-prefab parts of the project that still have to be vetted uh, in parallel with the building itself. Uh, but the prefab world, at least for the kinds of buildings that we're making with our clients and the more or less consistent level of specification in our projects, uh, is a known quantity, which is right around $200 a square foot. I think that's a solid representation of the market, uh, at least as we were seeing through the end of 2018. I would expect through the majority of uh, this coming year. And, um, you know, from there, there is escalation in the market. This has been something that, you know, goes up every year or six months or so. But I think uh, I try to help my clients establish preliminary expectations right around about $200 a square foot for your modules. And now you got to go figure out what's everything else going to take yeah. so that we can uh, identify that the order of magnitude of the total investment and therefore, uh, perform some prioritization to, you know, balance out all of those investments. Makes sense. Um, that's awesome. So in uh, locations you typically serve, uh, I know you do a lot in California. Do you do much work outside of California? I have, but I haven't been recently. Um, the truth is that there's a lot of work here in California. We are, you know, as you know, significantly behind in our construction of new housing units. Um, mm -hmm. The demand in the Bay Area, and I would argue the periphery, uh, seems to be very consistent despite uh, what we're hearing now about, you know, early economic indicators, although I guess the uh, jobs report today <laughs> may speak otherwise. But, um, you know, so most of the work that I'm doing is, is here in the Bay Area, the majority of it is, uh, I would say, within a three-hour radius. Um, I have worked in other Western states. Uh, we have worked on the East Coast. Uh, I've done a couple of international projects. Um, the, the truth is that uh, people who call me with questions are looking for answers. And, and so many of those questions um, really go back to networking. Um, I, I don't know how much foundations cost. I would argue no one does, except that a network in a given region is a, a sounding board for those kinds of questions. Uh, as I wander outside of a, of a territory which I'm less familiar and therefore haven't really managed the same level of networking, it becomes more difficult to answer those questions confidently. And so uh, at least at this point in time, rather than trying to go out and discover a lot of these answers, um, I've been more focused on trying to work where where I know a little bit more of, of the answers to those questions, uh, at least reliably. Um, so 
yeah, so it's been uh, it's been something that we've been looking at. Um, one of the things that we're considering, not considering, but we're sort of engaged in currently, uh, really has to deal with the fact that you know our fire seasons in California are here to stay, and I think we're going to be uh, all everybody kind of coming to the party here, uh, needing to be uh, able to help throughout the entire state. Uh, and maybe that's a, a broader comment about the Western half of this country, uh, that reconstruction of uh, areas devastated by fire is going to be part of a uh, part of our culture and part of something that we're going to have to learn to do. So we've been doing a little bit of work, of course, not only in the North Bay with the fires of two years ago, uh, but now starting to engage some folks down in the Malibu area from the fires of this past year. And of course, uh, Paradise is a whole other uh, uh, problem that's going to take a, a very long time to to resolve. So um, the the firm I've set up has an ability to kind of work anywhere, uh, but we've been for the most part focused a little bit more regionally here over the last few years. Perfect. Uh, okay, so now we're uh, going to get to uh, our fire round second. Uh, I'll rattle off a question, try to answer it in one minute or less. These are not going to be about clever homes, but will be about you know, um, helping us answer some questions that I have a feeling you might have expertise on. Um, okay. So modular versus panelized versus stick build. Um, I assume you, uh, have designed or worked on these. How do you choose which style to build? Um, or how do you choose with clients, um, which styles to build for which projects? Uh, okay. Short answer. Um, Panelized and stick built are both site assembled techniques that require local resources for the majority of the construction of the building. Modular buildings are built almost entirely off site using resources which are not regional. Um, modular buildings are stick frame buildings. <laughs> they're just built somewhere else. So they're no different at the end of the day than the stick built structure that would be uh, assembled on site. Um, Panelized prefabrication seeks to improve the performance of some aspect of a building, steel, insulation, fire resistivity, strength, etc., because it requires local resources and it is an improvement upon some aspect of the performance of the structure. It has been my experience that it is more expensive generally than stick built construction. And so stick-built framing on site versus panelized building, both site techniques, but panelization is more expensive, generally speaking. Since 2010, we have focused exclusively on modular construction, which is conventional building, albeit done in a non-conventional way. Uh, although because the materials are consistent with what would be built on site in the stick-built genre, um, we do find that they compete on price. Tradesmen are familiar with the materials used in modular construction. Okay. Uh, great. How do you or um, should clients building new prefab homes select a local builder uh, to finish a, the home? Like what, how, yeah, what are the questions they should ask? How should they find them, et cetera? Um, so it's personality, availability, and price. And so how do we get there? Well, partly that's myself, my networking. Networking comes from the work that we do, as well as the factory partners that we're also working with. We get a lot of shared interest and camaraderie that happens in prefab buildings. So we are all in support of each other, whether or not that's a factory helping find local contractors or a local contractor helping to vet factories. Uh, I think you do interviews. I think you check references. I think you uh, look to previous project experiences. Uh, I think we accept the reality that 
a lot of contractors have never done prefabricated building projects before and therefore are facing a learning curve. And we should support that. We need more people to be able to uh, execute projects of this type. Okay. Uh, which, um, so which factories, you can even just name California if you want, because I know that that's where you work. Which factories do you typically uh, use and work with? And like, how do you select them? Uh, I would argue it's the same process. It's you know personality, availability, and price. We got to understand you know who's out there. We got to let them look at the project and provide us with preliminary feedback that comes over both as an expectation of quality, but also information and competitiveness. Um, I think through that experience of engaging in that level, we you know cream rises to the top. We find the right partners are available at that point in time. They can meet the economic criteria. Um, there are a number of fabricators across the West Coast that we work with. Uh, Method Homes is probably uh, the furthest north at the Canadian border. We do some work with Green Fab in Seattle. We've done work with Fidelity Builders in Albany, Oregon. We do work with uh, Plant Prefab, which is down in Los Angeles. We do work with uh, Dvel, which is a new company also down in Los Angeles. And there's you know probably another half a dozen or so uh, facilities across the West that uh, we've also worked with in the past. Sorry, this is getting unfire around you. What's the way, uh, why, how do you decide, uh, is it just the one that's the closest uh, location to the project you're doing or are there other uh, factors in choosing the factory for each project? I don't think that transportation is the main, the main gating factor. Uh, I think we have to align culturally. It's got to align on price. And so you know, transportation factors in, but I don't think we select only because of region. Got it. Thanks. And then uh, last fire on question, uh, steel framing. So you mentioned it a second ago and you mentioned on your website, um, how does this positively affect home construction and how does it compare to wood or other styles of framing? Uh, well, steel is strong and you can make an argument for fire resistivity um, and, you know, pest protection, et cetera, but it's more expensive. Uh, people compare prefabrication against the old way of building. Uh, we, we seek a better way, but we compare it against the old. And so uh, not many tradesmen carry steel tools in their trucks. Uh, a lot of steel framing and a lot of steel construction is a commercial application. And so uh, the industry of contractors and subcontractors that are familiar with how to build steel buildings uh, in the residential world is not a robust community. And so uh, we have to accept the learning curve and sometimes the additional costs that come with building with steel. Cool. Um, and then final question. Uh, this is no longer a uh, fire round question. It's the question we try to ask everyone during these. Uh, what are you most excited about or your company or the kind of prefab and modular industry for the near future? Like what should we be looking out for or that, you know, gets you huge? Yeah, I mean, I think the future and where our practice is headed um, is is actually in in prefabricating larger buildings. Um, as important as it is to understand the market and the industry of prefabricating single family homes, uh, we're not going to single family home our way out of the housing problem. Um, we need to create density. We need to create buildings that uh, are taller, that are denser, that are more modern than our current infrastructure. Uh, and so I'm most excited and most bullish on the modular market as applied to larger projects that are mixed use, multifamily. And I'm very bullish and quite excited about the future for uh, prefabricating high-rise structures, uh, which I think is going to be 
uh, really the the future we're all aiming towards, uh, so that we can uh, essentially build out more of our urban infrastructure uh, faster and and more predictably than uh, than I think we're able to do currently. That makes a ton of sense, um, and I know there's a lot of uh, Bay Area housing advocates and other ha- housing advocates that agree with you. Um, thanks again, Toby. This has been amazing. Uh, we so appreciate you sharing um, your experience and in intel with us. Um, to learn more about uh, Toby Long Designs or Clever Homes, uh, people can visit cleverhomes.net. Toby, are there other places people should look to find you, or is that the best? Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of posting into Facebook, uh, just in, on the company side, just with a lot of update stuff. So we host a lot of videos. There's always renderings and kind of you know, following along with the stuff that's more current on our desk. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Um, and uh, and then website is a great place to see the current work, learn a little bit more about how we engage with our clients, uh, and certainly a way to track me down. Great. Um, Toby, thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate you being with us. Thanks. For sure, Michael. Thank you.